So what you heard was a snippet of the promo from the 2018 Super GT season video which you can find on YouTube. But what is Super GT you may ask? Well it's the Formula 1 of GT racing. The series features some of the fastest cars racing around some of the greatest tracks in Japan. And in today's episode we'll explore how this wonderful racing series came to be and what's going on in the series right now and what the future looks like for the golden boys of GT racing. Our story begins in 1993, the year when the first season of the Zen Nyon GT Senshu Ken, better known as JTC or Japanese Grand Touring Championship. The series was established by JAF, also known as the Japanese Automobile Foundation, or actually not foundation, Federation. Basically they're equivalent to the FIA but they only govern Japanese motorsport. But the actual creation of the series, the organization of the series was actually through their own like subsidiary or something they own called the GT Association. It replaced the All Japan Sports Prototype Championship that was home to Group C cars and JTC for or Japanese touring cars for Group A. Group A being a homologated touring car class which was split into three divisions based on engine displacement and this engine displacement decided the sizes of the tires that they would have. So cars based on their, the cars were based on their production counterparts with a standard body kit and due to the fact that the regulations being based on, on production cars manufacturers started to release faster cars just to counteract that and to get the most performance possible. A really good example of this is the Skyline GTR R32 which was dominant when it was first introduced or just because Nissan wanted to be, have a faster race car. To stop one team slash one make domination and out of control spending that buried the two series before it, strict limits were pushed on power and heavy weight penalties on race winners to ensure the action was kept close. But we'll talk more about this later because they continue to do this practice now in the series but it's changed slightly to how it was done in the faster course. The grid was quite healthy for the first season with JTC. With the cars commuting mostly being from the Japan Super Sport Sedan Series, also known as JSS. These cars were actually Group 5 Super Silhouette cars. These cars were wide body kits, over fenders, and I actually talked more about this in the first episode of the Clipping the Apex podcast. The only original car on the grid was the Nis Nismo Nissan Skyline GTRS, which was actually just a modified Group A car. The next season would see a rules overhaul. This change would be based on Group A. I guess the GT Association liked what they saw with Nissan and decided that it would go and base the regulations upon that sort of philosophy. So the cars were actually slightly different from group, the Group A regulations by featuring large over vendors and other large air devices like a rear wing. The engines would be a dual overhead cam engines and we might talk about that sort of thing later in like the series but not right now and the engines would be three and a half litres. So also in this new change were classes created for the FAA's GT1 and GT2 
with the JSS or Japanese Super Sedan being absorbed into the GT2 class. Also compared to other series that they were able now to enter any car they preferred so even a space train race from the GTS class wore a JSS car. Things would change for the 1995 season with the buying of the Group C cars and in 1996 the GT1 cars were replaced by new GT500 and GT300 regulations with the cars being capped with an air restrictor depending on their weight and their power and this regulation would continue to evolve as the seasons continued. So far so good for Jaff. JTC is thriving, the racing is exciting but that wasn't enough. So planned for the 2005 season they wanted to hold a race in China at the Shanghai International Circuit in addition to already one of their overseas races at Sepang in Malaysia. However, the FAA had something to say about this. Under International Sporting Code, a national series with more than two races outside the country cannot actually be called a national series, meaning it would not be able to be called JTC and would become an international championship, which in turn would also mean the FAA would need to authorize the series to run, rather than JAF. How sad. So the solution to this issue, this problem, is quite a big issue. Jaffa going crazy, you know, things, everything's just going to hell now. It was all going well until the FI stepped in, I had to do that thing. But you know, the FI being the FAA, but a solution. They came up with a solution. Jaffa had a genius light bulb moment. They're like, well, limit the race to one overseas race per year and rename the championship to Super GT. And on December 10th, 2004, that was done. This will kick off the current era we're in at the moment and the beginning of Super GT which had its first season in 2005. Now for a moment I'll talk about races. The first season there were respectable 6 races but the current number of rounds has increased to 8 with the GT circus visiting mighty tracks like Fuji Speedway if you watch World Endurance Championship or if you watch F1 in the past you know how great of a circuit that is. You can see Mount Fuji off in the distance as well. Uh, my favorite corner around that track is 100R and also there's Suzuka, Suzuka circuit, again another F1 circuit that we've used to visit and again my favorite corner around that track is 130R and for all those who follow MotoGP we also have the well renowned Twin Ring Mategi which is a mighty circuit. The circus also visits some smaller circuits like the infamous, or something infamous but smaller, oh it's really popular though, Sportsland Sugo and Autobolis. We also have one event outside Japan, which used to be Sepang International Circuit in Malaysia until 2014 when the series dropped Sepang in favour of Chang International Circuit in Buriram, Thailand, which funny enough opened up only in October 2014. Generally, race distances are 300 kilometers, but there's also every season a race that's longer than the traditional 300 kilometers. This year it's the Fuji GT 500 mile, uh, which as of the recording and the release, if I get it released on time, is this weekend. So you should go and watch it, it's going to be great. I definitely know I'm going to be watching it. So now we'll talk about the cars. More so the current generation of cars. There are two classes in the series, GT500 and GT300. The GT500 cars, the faster of the two classes. When the regulations were first put in place, the GT500 cars were limited to 500 horsepower and the GT300 cars limited to 300 horsepower. But the current generation of GT500 cars have over 600 horsepower and 700 newton meters of torque. 
and the GC500 300 cars, 400 to 550 horsepower depending on what car it is, with the GT500 cars having a significant amount more downforce. The current gen GT500 weighed just over a ton with a carbon fiber monocoque shared with DTM and all cars in that class running a 2 litre inline 4 turbocharged engine which doesn't sound anything special but sounds absolutely amazing especially compared to Formula 1 engines which have more cylinders yes slightly less displacement but come on they can do better all engines are in the front except for the NSX which puts the engine in the rear I'm not really in the rear, in the mid I should say, that's a big mistake, but it's not a rear engine car, it's a mid-engine car. And all the cars are rear drive with 6-speed sequential semi-automatic gearbox and double wishbone pushrod suspension. There are three of these cars in the GT500 class. The Lexus LC500, my favourite particularly, my favourite, really nice car. The Honda NSX GT, the Nissan GTR Nismo GT500. In the GT300 class, Things are a bit different, we have two types of cars in that class, the FIA GT300 and the JAF GT300. The FIA GT3 being the FIA regulated cars which have very strict rules on what you can do to the cars. The cars under these regulations are the 911 GT3R, the Ferrari 488 GT3, the Audi R8 LMS and the Nissan GTR Nismo GT3. So, and there's also more, we've got a Lamborghini there, there's a Bentley as well. So yeah, you have some really cool cars. Basically the customer cars you get from manufacturers nowadays that you can buy off them for like 250,000 or 300 or 400,000 pounds. You see it in other series like Black Brand Endurance and all that, those types of cars. The Jaff GT300 are similar but to this, but the regulations are not as restrictive. Cars have to be based on their production counterpart but have relatively free development in terms of bodywork and driven wheels of any engine in the manufacturer's range can be used, so you get some interesting combinations, but the engine has to be in its factory position, so you don't want to go too crazy, because it'd be like having an Audi V10 instead of an Audi A1 mid-engined. It'd be absolutely crazy car if that was actually possible, but the rules don't allow it for that very reasonable weird combinations like that, which is quite sad, but you gotta, you gotta stop it somewhere. There are not many of these cars left in the series, Two notable cars are the Subaru BRZ GT300 and the Toyota Prius, yes I said Toyota Prius but wait, there's more, with a mid-mountain Toyota RV8-K or RV8K which is an LMP1 engine from Toyota's LMP1 program and that's a 3 litre V8, I know it's 3, I think like 3.2 or is it 3.6, I think it's 3.2, 3.2 V8, absolutely insane that anyone would want to do that thing to a Prius, but you know, they can. And it's a hybrid as well. That's another thing. It still keeps a modified version of the Toyota Prius's hybrid system and attaches it to a V8. Absolutely insane. Now, the reason the engine is mid-mountain, even though I said the engine had to be in its factory position earlier, was when this car was made, it was made before the rules were enforced stating that the engine had to be made in the factory position. Also, there's a subclass in the Jaff GT3 regulations called a mother chassis, which is a new concept. And just like the name suggests, the cars have a common carbon monocoque, as well as an engine if you choose to use it. And it's like a Nissan V8, 4.5 litre, a front splitter, a gearbox, and an ECU and upright. So all those common parts you can get under this new mother chassis concept. 
Engines have to be in the factory position, but you can use any engine in that manufacturer's range. Cars made in this class are the Lotus Aurora mother chassis, Toyota, Toyota A6 mother chassis, and the Toyota Mark X mother chassis, which is some weird limousine concept thing. It looks a bit weird, but you know what? Whatever floats your boat, you can, if you want to build it, if you can build it, you can drive it. That's how cool Super GT is. We can visually differentiate between GT500 and GT300 by the headlights. GT300 have yellow headlights, GT500 have white headlights. The front wheel windshield decals on a GT500 car are white and yellow on a GT300 car. We also have the car number panels on each side and it's black text on a yellow background for GT300 and black text on a white background for GT500. Now while they have all that, to be honest, the cars do very look very different because when you see a GT500 car, you see a menacing on the track, taking, running around the track, gripping around the track, flying around it. So yeah, you can, you'll, you'll notice a difference when you see a couple cars swifting through the traffic. Another thing to notice is that I've just forgotten so far is that actually there's no blue flags in Super GT. So if you're a faster car, you just have to get on with it with merits. No blue flags like an F1 saying, oh, you have to let me buy. It's that you meet traffic, you gotta sift through it. And it's pretty amazing. We have all the faster cars within like, within like in a lap. They, the GT500s lap the GT300s and have to sift through traffic. And it's quite difficult. And it's all part of the game, isn't it? And it keeps things interesting. Now, Super GT is well known for having a success ballast, and the goal of the ballast is just to keep the series interesting. They do this with weight handicaps. The handicaps start at round 2, where 1 point is equal to 2 kilograms. So if you won the second race, that means you'll get 20 points for a win, and a ballast of 20 kilograms for the next race. So, the success pass for each of the class actually works a bit differently. In GT500, once you go over 51 kilograms of weight handicap, you get your first stage of a fuel flow restrictor instead of extra weight. So this fuel restrictor starts, your fuel flow actually starts at 95 kilograms an hour, and after stage one, goes down to 92.4 kilograms. Then when you get to stage two of a success handicap, that would be 68 kilograms to 84 kilograms, you'll be given the second stage of fuel flow restrictor, which is 89.8 kilograms an hour. Now it's not, that doesn't sound like that much, but the effect is actually getting quite big. So at the moment in the series, <laughs> the cars that have the, fifth, have the fuel flow restrictor are actually at the back, and that forces you to, because you won't be at the next couple of races at the front, especially if your car isn't performing well, it requires you just to maximize points. And that gets the championship interesting, because you mean one point could actually decide the whole thing from you scrapping out later on. So every world battles are always interesting because you always got to keep on fighting. And while you might not be able to fight for the front, you still have to fight at the back. And that's not something you see in other series where the people at the back are just like, oh, what's the point? Also, you get a stage three when you hit a success bias of 85 kilograms or to 100 kilograms. And that's a fuel flow restrictor of 87.4 kilograms an hour. How a fuel flow restrictor differs from a typical weight handicap is it limits over the amount of fuel you can get to the engine, therefore reducing engine power compared to a weight handicap which affects the car's handling, braking and tire wear. In GT300, success bias is pretty simple, following the same points to weight system as we do in GT500. However, they have no fuel flow stages, and so it's just purely physical ballast. 
The maximum ballast you can have is 100 kilograms, and for the season finale, success ballast is removed so we can see the fastest car. So it makes the season finale really exciting and really fun to watch. Also, something I forgot to say earlier was the penultimate round now one point equals one kilogram instead of being two, like it was for the rest of the rounds of weights with a weight handicap. While motorsport around the world may not be in the healthiest state, Super GT is looking very strong. Competitive racing, fast cars, a strong healthy field. However, Super GT's cousin, DTM, is not looking too good. With Mercedes leaving at the end of this season, only Audi and BMW are actually left. So, it's, they've actually agreed for this unification before, but what they're going to do now is agree to unify the rules in DTM and Super GT. They were talking about it in 2014, but they've agreed to the rules now this year and with DTM changing its rules and regulations for next year and a full unification happening in 2020. So that new class would be called Class 1. So basically, you'll just see an improvement in safety and cost reductions across both series and more common parts as well. So at the moment they share a chassis, I think they share transmission as well and some suspension components to just be a bit closer lined up. Also DTM would actually switch from their 500 horsepower V8s to the same or to the same rules as Super GT has with its 2 litre inline 4 turbocharged engines and it also in 2019 have two joint races one in Europe and one in Asia but no one's got the full dates yet for that so Super GT is great it's a fun and exciting series from the land from the rising sun and you can watch this series actually like I do on YouTube, on Nisma TV, and it's got English, English commentary. It's pretty interesting. They do make crack a few jokes sometimes, and it's just a great experience. They show the whole event. I think they should qualify, but because you also have to take a grain of salt that because it's in Japan, it's usually very early in the morning. So, like, you can be waking up 5 30, 6 o'clock for the race, but you can always watch the highlights afterwards. Also, you can go to Jensen Button's channel because he also does highlights of his car. He drives the NSX. Uh, and he's actually, is he second in the championship right now? I think he is, but he's doing really well uh, for his first season there. They paired him with quite a class driver in the Honda, but I think Alexis is going to win the championship like they won last year. That's my prediction anyway. But anyway, that's it for today's episode of the Clip in the Apex podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good day. I'm going to have a great day today. It's a Friday right now, and I'm just going to chill, I think. I hope so. Yeah. But anyway, come back next time, maybe next week, for the next episode. Well, we're going to be talking about Cosworth's DFL. Not DFL. Or the Cosworth Double Four Valve. It's going to be great. Come this episode. Next episode. Next week. When? Either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I don't know yet. So, thank you for watching. Or not watching. Thank you for listening, and bye. Thank you